Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation? It is deja vu all over again. I just said goodbye to you about 25 minutes ago, and here we are back on the podcast that brings you the very best guests in all of true crime, and you're in for another treat if I can manage to... uh, have enough stamina for another show. Uh, I'm going to guilt you right off the bat. My beautiful daughter is in the chat. Look what she says. Subscribe and like, everyone. Uh, Please do. It helps get the algorithm chugging. How Um, old is she? She is nine, and uh, I've stooped to lower levels, but uh, this is pretty (laughs) low, getting my nine-year-old daughter to do my dirty work. But um, for full disclosure, I did not. Uh, set this up, did not prepare for it. I think she's probably uh, bored out of her mind. We did our math homework, her math homework, even though I say our math homework, which, by the way, is kind of tough at fourth grade. Um, I probably need that. Brett, I always forget, are you Harvard or Yale out of you and Alice? Well, I'm, I'm Harvard, but I went to law school for a reason. I don't do math. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, um, I will send her your way from now on because um, fourth grade math is definitely out of my um scope of understanding uh look at this ski hat sarah right off by the way i'm loopy because we literally just finished an hour and 40 minute show wow. ski hat sarah vita waldman your family's the best um mm. i don't know about that but Vita's pretty cool as her sister and brother are as well so uh, without further ado we've got an amazing panel tonight uh, a plot twist or two or three in one of the most disturbing murder cases in recent history the former attorneys for a man accused of killing two teen- teenage girls six years ago in Delphi, Indiana, uh, filed a lengthy and at times bizarre motion for a hearing that claimed the girls uh, at the center of all this were killed by cult members uh, and double murder suspect Richard Allen had no ties to those religious groups. Well, that news was a couple of weeks ago. Of course, the victims in this case, Abby, Abigail Williams, 13, and Libby, Liberty German, uh, 14. They are the young victims of this savage double homicide. Uh, At a hearing just last week, Judge Gull announced that Richard Allen's defense team has withdrawn from the case, wink, wink, because they were sort of kicked off, I think, but we'll ask everyone about that, after a leak surfaced of some really disturbing crime scene photos. Best guest tonight, and they're as good as they come. Shout out to Steve Cohen for uh, orchestrating a lot of this from behind the scenes. All you have to know is the Prosecutor's Podcast. That is it. They won Best podcast of the year at CrimeCon, the Clue Awards. Brett and Alice, you're looking at one half. Of course, that is Brett, not Alice. They bring their unique perspectives as prosecutors to the hottest stories in true crime. They're the hosts of two weekly podcasts, the Prosecutors Podcast and Legal Briefs. And not only do they host, but they win awards at CrimeCon. Next up, with the most beautiful background, it actually sparked controversy because after you were on, Susan, people are like, what the hell is going on behind Waldman? That is my mother yelling at me. Not only that, I commissioned a Miami street artist to paint this. My own mother says, how come your set doesn't look more like Susan's? I just sat there and I said... I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) veteran CNN and HLN journalist Susan Hendricks, she anchored the network's live news program, Weekend Express, from 2016 to December 2022. All you have to know about her, she's a big-time news anchor, and uh, she's written a book, Down the Hill, 
uh, about this case. She's literally written the book on this case. So uh, we're going to ask her all about it. But most importantly, as I said last time, she's from New Brunswick, New Jersey. Go Rutgers. Uh, literally a stone's throw from where I grew up in Highland Park, New Jersey. And uh, got to love her for that. And then, of course, Laura Engel, uh, a new friend of mine, but we worked together without really knowing each other. Uh, she was at Fox News for 20 years. Now she's at News Nation. And believe it or not, just last week, she was in the courtroom uh, when those defense attorneys allegedly withdrew under uh, duress. And uh, Laura has an interesting story to tell. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Laura started her career at KFI. And that you're looking at uh, on the screen is her Instagram account. She's been following Delphi. She follows all the big news stories uh, based out of New York for News Nation. So please give her a follow on Instagram. It is definitely worth your while. Um, I had kind of COVID when I did this, but here's a quick background on the case, uh, which still kind of holds up. Here we go. On STS, victims are most important. So we begin with them. Liberty German, 14. Abigail Williams, 13. Abby and Libby were best friends in eighth grade when they went for a walk and disappeared from a popular trail in Delphi, Indiana, back on February 13, 2017. Sadly, they were found dead in the woods the next day, Valentine's Day, 2017. It took nearly five years before police arrested the man they say committed the horrific double murder. He's Richard Allen, a 50-year-old who lived in Delphi, is a father himself, and worked at CVS. He was charged with two counts of murder, entering a not guilty plea. When interviewed by police back in 2017, Allen said he was on the trail on the afternoon of the murders. Police found critical evidence on Abby's phone, which had a 43-second video showing her walking toward Libby while a man wearing a dark jacket and jeans walks behind her. The man can be heard ordering the girls down the hill, according to an affidavit. Delphi murder suspect Richard Allen eventually confessed to killing the two girls at the center of the double homicide case. He did that in recorded jailhouse calls. Police located a 40 caliber unspent bullet at the crime scene, the same caliber gun found at Richard Allen's home when a search warrant was executed. Authorities believe a knife was used in the crime, but now Richard Allen's defense team claims they have the wrong man and the girls were actually sacrificed as part of a ritual cult killing. Uh, Brett, uh, so there's the summary as told by James Earl Waldman. Um, Sexy. Sexy. Yeah, man. Uh, that's what happens when you get sick. Um, so how do you describe what we've seen up to this point? Because um, this is definitely extraordinary. And I don't mean that in a good way. This is not normal. You know, it is. And <laughs> I thought the 130 page Frank's motion was the strangest thing I'd seen in a criminal case. But I've never seen an attorney hire another attorney to file something on his behalf to seek to stay in a case where there have been allegations that through his negligence, critical protected information, in this case, photographs of the crime scene and, and to my understanding of the victims themselves managed to get out into the public through a leak that came from the defense's office. Never seen anything like that. I mean, that, that is, I've seen, look, it is not that unusual that attorneys are removed for a, from a case for whatever reason. Usually it's because they have some sort of, issue with their client. And it always throws a wrench in the case. 
And you always have to deal with that. But n- I've never seen in a case like this, a situation like this, with that kind of breakdown, I mean, in my mind, it's unprecedented. And maybe somebody can point to something like it, but short of something like OJ, I just, the twists and turns in this case are, are incredible. And Brett, um, did they withdraw for the record here or were they forced out? So, I mean, here's what I think happened. And I'll be interested. I understand that some of your other guests were actually there, so they may have more insight. But just my thought from what I've seen in the past, Generally, the way these things go, I think obviously they knew this hearing was going to be about this leak. And they knew the fact that information that was in their custody in which they had a responsibility to protect had been leaked to the public, according to them, by someone they trusted who betrayed their trust. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's that's what they said. They knew that. So they knew they were going to have to fight that battle. And they filed, you know. Baldwin hires an attorney for himself to file something in this criminal court case to basically say, I want to stay on. It's in the best interest of my client. It's obviously not good to have your attorney who's invested this much time and effort into this to be removed. And that's 100% true. Then I think what must have happened, and this often happens before you have hearings like this. We go to hearings all the time. A lot of times what happens is before the hearing, the judge will say, I want counsel in my chambers. Mm-hmm. And counsel will go back into chambers and they'll have a conversation with the judge and the judge will sort of discuss what's about to happen in open court. And I think what happened here is I think when they got there, I think the prosecution said, look, we've read your filing. We are going to put on these witnesses who are going to say something a little bit different from what you've said. I think they went back there in chambers. I think they kind of hashed it out what was going to happen. And I think while they were in chambers, it became evident to Baldwin. This is going to be a disaster for me. And mm-hmm. you know that, the judge comes out and says that he is orally withdrawn. So what happened was while he was back there, he said, your honor, I understand. I'm going to make a motion to withdraw. And then his co-counsel said, and I'll file something later along those same lines. Not exactly sure why he wanted to do it in writing and Baldwin did it orally. But I think that's essentially what must have happened because I think when Baldwin walked into the courtroom that day, based on the filing, he intended to fight it. But at some point he realized this is going to go very poorly for me on the record, on television, there is no option but to withdraw. Uh, the ter- uh, Baldwin, by the way, is a defense attorney. Andrew Baldwin, the other attorney, Bradley Rossi. Uh, Susan, you've literally written the book, Down the Hill. If you haven't read it, go out and buy that. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, could you ever have foreseen what just happened uh, coming our way? I didn't, but I'm thinking maybe retired cold case investigator Paul Holes may have. I was looking through the special that we did on October 31st, coming up on a year when it was announced it was that final presser um, that Richard Allen was in custody. And I remember Superintendent Doug Carter, it was first Mike and Becky Patty coming up on the show. Then it was um, Superintendent Doug Carter and then to Paul Holes. And he said, look, even though this is a moment in the case in many ways, it's just the beginning, meaning a good moment. And I even rewatched it tonight thinking, wait a minute, he knew something, obviously. And he said, look, just with my experience through Golden State Killer, this is not an easy road, meaning the trials, there's different tactics and different things that can come up. Obviously, no one could have predicted this. I mean, maybe he could have, but he did say with the trial coming up, there's going to be a lot of challenges for him, his staff, meaning um, Superintendent Carter, and the family saying the legal system is not friendly 
to the families, to the victims' families and going through this. And of course, um, Brett, as you just mentioned, I was looking through that memo as well, thinking, why would Baldwin hire an attorney if he knew that going in? You're right, some sort of argument, I would assume, or maybe not argument, a a realization that it wasn't going to go the way maybe they wanted. What that means, I really don't know specifically. Uh, it'd be definitely interesting to find that out as that information uh, undoubtedly will come out at some point. Uh, Ski Hat Sarah very astutely points out someone committed suicide over this leak. There's another dead person as a result of this, and uh, that is uh, without a doubt uh, a very serious um, issue. Um, and Jilly being here, Sarah, the one who leaked it did. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, we. As far as I know, that person's identity, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't fully know the uh, identity or the connection. Um, But Laura, you were just um, in Delphi. You were going there for the hearing. Uh, What were you expecting and what did it turn out to be for you? Well, I mean, we went to, and we can talk about going to Delphi. I I flew into Indianapolis. We went to Delphi to film, and then we went to um, Fort Wayne for the um, for the hearing and it was a packed courtroom we you know we were expecting finally the judge in this case and the judge overall in this courthouse said we're going to allow cameras in the courtroom so it was one of the reasons why we went mm-hmm. uh, so that we could see this process unfold it's so important as we all know for this transparency uh, to take place in these court hearings we want to see and hear it for ourselves uh, what is going on so the fact that cameras for the first time were going to be allowed was a really big deal and the courtroom showed that it was because it was packed and i barely got a seat in there uh, in between my live shots outside and we had all of the family members uh, of abby and libby on the left hand side and you know people took off time time from work and got babysitters and, you know, rearranged schedules. It was a really big deal that everybody was there. And then on the side I was sitting on, on the right-hand side of the court, uh, you could see Richard Allen's mother and his wife. They were in the front row. And what was really interesting, you guys, so we're all in there. And then the lawyers come out and they talk to Richard Allen's wife and mother. And they talk to him. And then the two attorneys for Richard Allen go back behind, you know, closed doors, they come back again. And we're like, what's going on? You you could clearly tell that something was going on. And and just as you just described, uh, probably uh, detailed (laughs) what happened uh, in judges chambers. Um, But they came out and then they got the wife and the mom, the two attorneys did, and they said, like, let's go outside. The wife and the mom of Richard Allen go out to the courthouse, um, hallway. Mm -hmm. Then they come back in and get their sweaters. And now we're like, and it was a really miserable rainy day. And we're like, okay, something's really going on because now they've got their coats and their purses and they're leaving. And then we waited another, what felt like, you know, an hour, it was only 20 minutes. The judge came out and that's when she said, and you've probably seen the tape, you know, we've had a surprising turn of events, ladies and gentlemen, and the defense is withdrawn. And I could hear the the sound on the other side of the, where the victims' families were sitting, and you, I, I saw somebody's head drop. Like, no, this isn't happening because we all know what a stall this is going to be, and what a huge delay for justice this means. Starting all over again with a defense team that is yet to be determined. Hmm. Uh, interesting uh, <laughs> events that unfolded while you were there, Denise D. Here, I uh, Brett, not to beat a dead horse here but uh denise d and by the way people are yelling at me where are uh 
Bob and Allison Mata. They've been on a couple times. We're switching around our guests. They'll be back. Don't you worry. Last time Susan wasn't on. Uh, we are fair and equitable. Nothing happened. I still love Bob. He's with Vinny. Know. He's with Vinny. Yeah. yeah, he's with. Uh, there you go. So even, there you go. Even better. Uh, Denise D., why did it happen in chambers, Brett, in secret, kind of sus to use the you know, Well, I mean, look, typically what's happening in chambers is going to happen in open court. Usually when you go back in chambers with the judge and oftentimes, and, and I don't know whether this happened in this case or not, but usually the court reporter's back there too. So it's not, it's not like totally in secret. It's not totally off the record. It's just something that is occurring where everybody who is a player in this official proceeding that's about to happen discusses exactly how this is going to go down. It can make it smoother. It can make it easier to understand for both the defendant and for the people in the crowd. I mean, sometimes that's what you're doing. Like you've got some sort of complicated issue. And before you get in there and it's all very official and everybody's, you know, like you got to stand up now and sit down now and you have to be and, and all that other stuff. When you're just sitting back there with the judge, it's more it's much more just a conversation. And you're basically just having a conversation with the judge about what exactly, why are we here? What exactly are we going to talk about? What are the issues going to be? Like the judge is sort of getting that information ahead of time. And it's not unusual. It happens all the time. I think now what is unusual is it's a little unusual for something this dramatic to happen in chambers and then to come out and, and really nothing happened in court. Usually, as I said, whatever you're discussing back there is going to be on the record in front of everybody. But I think this was just an unusual situation. And I think, frankly, everybody was learning a lot of information that morning. As we've talked about before, we talk about discovery a lot, right? But when you have a pretrial hearing like this, discovery is not like it is before a trial. When you walk into a trial, everybody knows everything. You've given them everything, right? But when you're having a hearing like this, a lot of times the lawyers will see each other and one lawyer say, hey, look, I'm calling this witness. They're going to say this. Don't want to sandbag you, but this is what's going to happen. So they're learning new information on the fly. That information can come out back there in chambers. And I really just think a decision was made. And look, one thing about this case that I don't like, and I've never liked, is all the secrecy. I don't like the fact that everything seems to happen behind closed doors. I don't like the fact that most of the filings, it takes forever for them to be public, if they ever are. I think it's been a problem from the very beginning, but that's just my understanding. That's how Indiana kind of does things. It almost became the perfect storm, if you will, throughout, uh, with no one knowing much, even the family members saying they didn't know. And I remember early on, Kelsey saying to me, it was the first time I was at the bridge, it was February 2019, I asked about the cause of death. She said, I don't know. I don't know much, Susan, but I don't think maybe I really want to know at this point. And I understood that. But I think that that secrecy, if you will, and I mentioned this because it was shocking to me at the time, being a journalist, I'd never seen anything like it. A sign when I was interviewing um, Holman, Detective Holman at the time, it said, Shh, be quiet. The media could be listening. I mean, it was let nothing out. I mean, it was completely sealed. And I believe that that was the perfect storm. And I had a quick question for Brett, if that's okay, um, about that hearing. Do you think that the document um, describing their theories would have been discussed at that hearing if they didn't withdraw? So I'm not entirely sure what the purpose of the hearing was before the leak. So are you are you referring to the 130-page yeah. filing? Yes. Yes, with the Odinism. I wonder if that was going to be discussed there in the Franks hearing, or if not, it was just something no one knew about. So it's a little complicated. When you file a motion for a Franks hearing like that, you have to read sort of a preliminary before you even get a hearing. I think if it was going to be the Franks hearing, 
there would have been, you would have known it. Okay. They would have said, like, this is going to be the frame. The judge has decided they have reached their prima facie standard. They've shown that there's some basis to believe that there's a problem with the affidavit. Therefore, we're going to have a hearing. We're going to put on we're going to put on witnesses. We're going to cross examine people. And that evidentiary hearing is going to happen. I, I kind of and once again, they, all we can do is speculate. Right. Because everything's kind of secret before the leak. My what I wondered was. I wondered if the judge was a little irritated with the defense and how they'd done the Frank's motion, mm -hmm. because there is a gag order in this case. The defense can't just walk out and give an interview to the press and say, oh, by the way, we think this is a sacrifice. We think this is Odinism. We think it's a cult ritual. So they file a Frank's motion, which is usually pretty legal, heavy and really focused on the affidavit. And then for the first hundred or so pages, they're talking about something that has nothing to do with whether or not there's a Frank's motion, it really felt like this is kind of a press release in motion form. I wondered if the judge was going to say something to them about that. And I wonder if the fact that maybe the judge was already a little irritated with them, and this is speculation, the fact that judge was already a little irritated with them and kind of how they had done things. Then when this leak happened, it really ramped things up. Okay. You know, the defense had been perfect all through this, but then sort of a leak happens and everybody admits it was our fault, but it was a terrible mistake. We'll never let it happen again. Maybe the judge gives them a pass. But I kind of wonder if this defense team had had skirted the line enough that the judge was like, look, I'm not I'm not dealing with this anymore. Okay. And uh, going to circle back in a moment to Laura Engel. Uh, look at this. Uh, Brett's uh, work wife, I think, is uh, in the chat unless Brett is texting with one hand or, or, or chatting with one hand. He hired an attorney because he thought he would have to testify as to why the defense attorney hired an attorney. Uh, then this comment here, which uh, we have one uh, attorney in residence, and that would be you, Brett, from Angie. I won't even try to say her last name. Wouldn't Richard Allen have to give permission for his counsel to withdraw? What does the law say about that? So I don't know what the law in Indiana is. I mean, I think we were at a point where the judge was in a position where he could remove or she could remove these people for what they had done. Typically, you have a right to counsel. When your counsel is appointed, you don't actually have a right to choose your counsel. This is something that often surprises people because sometimes defendants will actually want to fire their appointed counsel and the judge will say, no, either you keep this person or you go pro se. So your, your ability to choose your own counsel when they're appointed is actually a little bit less fulsome than maybe I think people think. So I think in this circumstance, no, Richard Allen would not have had to give permission, though I will note there is one other mystery here. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that Richard Allen filed something under seal that when this this motion came through from the defense counsel saying Baldwin should be able to stay on, that in addition to that, there was something from Richard Allen filed. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's my understanding. I have no idea what that said. <laughs> um, Betty Majors here. What I understood, this is interesting, is that Baldwin was sending uh, the pics uh, that leaked to Brad Rossi, and as he entered the address to look at Laura, shaking her head, no, this is categorically incorrect, Laura. What our understanding is that, you know, one of the things that you're right, that was going to be discussed, this leak. We knew that that was going to come up. We knew that uh, Richard Allen's health and mental health were going to be brought up as well. That is obviously a concern. You can see the change in him in that video, the most recent video of him coming into court. Uh, mm -hmm. But what has really come out is that it was a former employee who worked at this firm who was identified by the letter M. He's somebody that used to work at this firm with Baldwin and Rossi. And apparently this law firm had a very 
open door kind of policy. They had a collaborative work atmosphere. And that was something that was talked about a lot uh, about this this law firm and about this guy that worked there. So this guy with the letter M apparently went in, somehow got access to not only seven crime scene photos and took photos of the photos, but also somehow managed to get information about the discovery and about the theories. And it was more investigative information in addition to those photos. He then shared them, uh, it's our understanding, with somebody by the letter R, Letter R is the person who committed suicide, according to locals. And then that person also shared it again. So it was it was thankfully a tight circle. You, we haven't seen those pictures. Nobody wants to see those pictures. Everybody wants to keep that protected. Obviously, it would be so devastating. Uh, but it is a really interesting way this happened. And, and the question that we had when we were there to anybody who could answer us is why on earth, how could anybody get into an office and have access to that kind of material? Why wasn't it in a firebox? Why wasn't it under lock and key as it should have been? And that was the question that we understood was going to be talked about in court. And then everything happened the way it did. Uh, Pokey mom. I'm not going to pull it up because I've got Susan's book cover up here. Susan's book was really good. Exclamation mark. Um, Susan, this is your book cover. I, I probably asked you this the first time you were on, but what piqued your interest? What got you, uh, you know, to the point that you exerted the effort to actually write an entire book about this case? Well, it's funny that you say case, and I appreciate that. And I'm certainly not an expert, not more so than the guests who are on with me tonight. But when I was there, the first time I was there, and the way the families welcomed me into their homes, and and as Laura knows this, we cover a lot of stories. And the news cycle keeps going, doesn't it? And the breaking news. So when I was first brought into um, an executive producer's office saying, look, we're sending you to Delphi. And I said, oh, is that the case with the recording down the hill? So, and he said, yes. And I said, oh, I know that. So I went there. But it it kind of went through my mind at the time, meaning, oh, yes, I was on the set a day after and interviewed um, the gentleman who's um, where the bodies were located. Uh, so Ron Logan. And I interviewed him on set. Then I realized that when I got there, I was welcomed in by the families, law enforcement. I really liked And again, this was early on. So I think the more attention that the case got, the more shut off they became. But they were shut off in the beginning, as I mentioned, that sign. But Sheriff Tobe Lesenby couldn't have been more welcoming. And I remember coming back from the bridge, Kelsey had, had left and um, Ron Logan came up and said, you know, the, the police ruined my life. They ruined my life. I was in jail. Someone came here and stole all of my furniture. I remember it being nine degrees out day out there that day. Um, so I was all in, if you will, not just on the set, not just interviewing the families, not just a breaking story. I was there. I was in the kitchen that where Libby was saying, goodbye, grandma, love you, February 13th, 2017. That had an effect on me. So I, I decided to write the book from the family's perspective with their blessing, with Kelsey writing the foreword, with the perspective through all of this, the ups and downs and every possible, they wouldn't even say suspect or person of interest. And I believe they still won't. And that's part of the secrecy that Brett was alluding to. So it's, it's all of that, um, 
what we go through, and we usually see it through, I don't know, Casey Anthony, Jody Arias, um, you name it. it. It's always about the person who's on trial, not necessarily the family members and the highs and lows that they go through. So I hope that people see that uh, when they read it through their perspective. And that's uh, that was a long answer, I know. No, it's very important because we try to do the same thing, keep the families in mind. We were talking about uh, the Charlie Adelson trial. He's accused of uh, masterminding the uh, plot to have two hitmen kill his ex-brother-in-law and so uh, come friendly with Ruth Markell. It is important to keep the families in mind here. Uh, Ronnie says this trial is a nonstop roller coaster. That is an understatement. Sorry about that, COE. Uh, it was sicken sickening to me how his lawyer proclaimed to be snookered or basically bullied, like they said Richard Allen was. COE, if you want to put that back up, I'll get to that. Uh, special shout-out to our best guests who are in the chat. Look at this. I'm getting uh, hate directed my way because of you guys. Uh, turning <laughs> husband and wife, Ali and Bob Mata. Yes, we are. From Defense Diaries podcast, I had one person screaming at me because um, I mispronounced the co-host of the Murder Sheet podcast, uh, which we'll get to in a little while. I mispronounced Anya uh, Kane. Yes, and I'm not even gonna. Yeah, Anya, <laughs> Anya Kane. I called her Anne, um, and I got screamed it's at. It's tough to so. pronounce. It is. It is. It is an Irish name. spelling with this one. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm used to it. I've got my mom and my wife, so I get yelled at <laughs> plenty, and I'm I'm really used to it. You guys feel free, to, Brett. Feel free to yell at me. So Laura had an interesting encounter. Um, you guys are true crime uh, devotees, everyone here, so you know. But, Laura, I'm going to play this video that you showed us. And this was um, – why don't you set it up before I play it? Tell us what, what, what right. we're going to see here. So I had never been to the bridge, and I wanted to go because it was on our way to the courthouse. And so it was a, it's an important part of the story. Mm -hmm. As Susan knows, so I was like, well, we have, we're here in Indiana, we have to go. And it was pouring rain. It was so rainy that day. And we got an early start. We get over to the parking lot and we make that walk. It's about a mile uh, to the bridge that we all know so well in this case. Um, it did stop raining when we got to the bridge, so we should do some filming. And it was really beautiful, all the fall colors. And I turned around and it, it's really bizarre. And Susan, you know, you've been there, anybody that's been there, you can usually see somebody coming. That's this really long path. And I turned around and all of a sudden there was a guy there. There was wow. this, I didn't see where he came from. I didn't, I didn't see him coming and we were done filming. We were just kind of packing up, shooting some additional B-roll. And he walked up to me and he said, you know, this is where two little girls were killed. Right. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I'm like, well, if you've been standing here, you probably know that I know that because that's what I've been retaking over and over again with my right. standing I've been doing. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it he was digging around in his pockets. And look, he could have been, this could have been a, a completely innocent encounter, a, a retiree who's looking for answers. But I don't like it when somebody, I can't see their hands. And so when you're down mm -hmm. there at this bridge, you suddenly realize with a stranger, as the girls did, you suddenly realize there's nowhere to go. There is nowhere to go. There's no one who's going to hear you. And I just, I took out my phone and I started filming and I started asking him questions because I couldn't see his hands. I didn't know who he was. And that's yeah. the thing. And he traveled from out of state. And this is not to indict this person anyway, but oh. this also goes to show the um, interests that a lot of people have, but hopefully this is it. Hang on everyone. Uh, this is the fifth time I've been out. God led me here for one thing. But uh, to get an understanding of what happened to these two little girls, 
And uh, I believe the man was on the southeast end of the bridge to start with. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have some theories about how he got into the area and how he left, but I won't mention that on the okay. air. All right. Um, the, uh, and you've been here how many times? This is my fifth time from Central PA. And why? What draws you here? Uh, just to get an understanding of these two little girls. There's very strange things at the crime scene that were very unusual. Mm -hmm. Like what? Uh, I cannot tell you that. Are you an investigator? Well, I can't tell you that either. All right. <laughs> Can you tell me your name? My name's Sean. Can you tell me your last name? Uh, Bianchi. How do you spell that? Uh, a, tr a true reporter right there, uh, Laura Engel. So, um, Laura, I mean, odds the, the betting odds are this is just an innocent guy's a little quirky who's out here from right. Pennsylvania for the fifth time. But um, what happened after that? What would you would you make of it? Well, we needed to get to the court hearing. Uh, we already were pushing our luck with time. Uh, we needed to get on the road and get to the courthouse. So I, I excused myself and he kept talking. And again, could completely just be a very over-interested, uh, retired, maybe former law enforcement. I'm not sure. Just I just wasn't sure. And so we started walking at a pretty good clip. And uh, he followed us. And he followed us all the way back to the parking lot. And he kept talking. And I just thought, wow, well, he came here all the way from Pennsylvania. And he's not hanging out at the bridge and taking it all in like he said he was going to be there. And then he came to my car while I was trying to get going. And he kept talking. He talked about Becky. He told me he was talking about Kelsey. He told me uh, he was just talking about the family members like he knew them. And maybe he does. Maybe he does. Uh, but it was it was unnerving in the moment. And we got out of there. Um, I did pass that on to uh, some law enforcement there just to make sure that everything was on the up and up. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens there and we'll see who he is. And he might very well be a private investigator who's maybe working for the defense. I mean, who knows? Uh, but it was just a very odd thing that happened. And especially because I didn't see him coming. And then when I shared my experience with some other people in the area, they said, you know what? That's not the first time that we've heard that before. And I said, what do you mean? Yeah. They said, somebody just appearing out of nowhere. Do mm -hmm. people go hunting in the air? I, I don't know, but it was just, I mean, I turned around and there he was. It was the oddest thing. When you were telling that story, Laura, I, I got the chills because of when I started to walk down there. I remember the CNN photojournalists are like, we, we can't get arrested. There's a no trespassing sign. We're going to call the desk. And I said, okay, I'll just walk a little. And the deeper you got and the more alone I became, I thought about my mother's voice, like, don't go anywhere alone. And I'm, I, and you just feel that it's different when you see it than when you hear about it or you see it on, on camera. It, it's very different. And I remember we were walking down. I finally ran back and we all went down and, and Kelsey was, was with us. And um, someone was walking the other direction who appeared to, to show up out of nowhere. Now, was this because I knew what happened down there? Maybe I was more fearful, more on high alert. Yes, but it does feel when people say the middle of the day, how could this happen? You kind of see there are certain areas that are secluded and you see how someone could all of a sudden show up and you kind of understand more how it could happen. That's right. Yeah, you, you really feel alone out there. It is a far walk from that parking lot. It really yeah. is. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I have not been there. Uh, maybe one day I will get out there, but sure. uh, it seems seems a little eerie. Uh, Maine Hypnosis LLC. Always smart to put your business name in there. Um, Brett, to you, can his family, uh, meaning Richard Allen, is there any legal recourse here? I mean, as you said, uh, attorneys withdraw all the time. And then I've got another uh, legal question for you. Well, I'm, I think a couple of things. Number one, I'm not an expert on malpractice and when you can see for malpractice, but I think the question points out something that I think sometimes we miss. We talked about the victims. We talked about their reaction when this happened and the delay. But Richard Allen suffered here too. I mean, Richard mm -hmm. Allen was looking forward to having a trial in January. I don't think it would have happened in January, but it mm -hmm. certainly would have happened before it's going to happen now. And mm -hmm. his attorney's actions are incredibly detrimental to him. He is currently locked up, awaiting trial, and will be locked up until the end of his trial. Now he's going to have to start out with new attorneys, build new rapport. I mean, it is it is such a blow to the defendant. And and I and I just the other thing about it, if there was a third party, the thing about privilege, attorney client privilege, is between the attorney and the client. Mm -hmm. If some third party had access to all of these conversations, a third party who wasn't employed by the attorney's office, technically the privilege on all that stuff has been violated. I mean, there's all sorts of rabbit holes you could go down here. I mean, I, I think I, I would not be surprised if this is not the end of this for the attorneys, whether that's bar complaints or lawsuits or what, but it certainly was an absolute betrayal of, of their obligation to their client, even if it was just gross negligence, even if they didn't intend anything. And I think that's still an open question as well. Uh, and that leads right into this next set of questions. Again, uh, Brett, you suffer because you're the only attorney, as far as I know, on the show. Michelle Burns, uh, will the new team, whoever that is, be allowed to or have to present the ritual killing theory? Uh, where Great does question. that go now? Yeah. I wonder that no. too. No, they won't have to. And in fact, his defense team wouldn't have had to. I mean, his defense team could have filed that, didn't really go anywhere, go to trial, never mention it again. And certainly a new defense team is not obligated to do that. We're at a very early stage in this. I mean, I have seen <laughs> I've seen circumstances where a client fired his attorney right before trial and then hired somebody else. And the new counsel asked for continuance. And the judge says, you knew when this trial was scheduled, when you took this job, we're going to trial next week. And I always was like, oh, my goodness, that's what a nightmare for that guy. Right. We are not there in this case. In this case, there's been some preliminary things filed, but even the final sort of suppression motions, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that had to happen for January, which is why I don't think the trial is going to happen in January. I would think of this as this new team's going to come in. We're probably going to know who they are. I would expect before October 31st, because that's the next hearing, they are going to evaluate the filings. You could see them maybe withdraw them, substitute them with their own filings request an opportunity to supplement them. There's all sorts of things they can do, but they are in no way bound to present this theory at trial or to continue to present it or really to continue on any of the paths the defense has taken up to this time. I think this, this in many ways, is a reset, which is, you know, it's a clean slate for these new attorneys. It's a clean slate for Richard Allen, but that just means more delay. And, and I think that's how the judge will handle this. I don't think there's going to be any pressure to rush this at this point. By the way, I think if I had Brett's accent and not my Jersey accent, I may have won best podcast if I actually. Um, Come on. I, what's wrong with Joyzy? Nothing. Joyzy, yeah. Although I didn't submit, but I'm going to submit uh, for whatever for, for May. Uh, Crazy Sheba here. Uh, one more legal question and then we'll mix it up. Uh, 
and he, he kind of just answered this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Brett, do you think the attorneys are going to still face discipline for the leak? You said there could be uh, repercussions with the bar potentially, but uh, this is not the end of the uh, road for them, I take it. I will say this. If that hearing had happened and the prosecution had put on a bunch of witnesses and those witnesses had laid out evidence after their investigation, they found that what was in that filing wasn't true. And in fact, this was a much more deliberate leaking scheme or it happened on multiple occasions. That would have been really bad for the defense attorneys. This is another reason why you could imagine deciding just to withdraw, right? Because then you have a court hearing where a bunch of stuff's on the record which then can just be forwarded on to the bar. And that makes it a lot easier for bar counsel to investigate. I think I could, I will be surprised if there's not some sort of bar claim complaint filed in this case. No idea how that's going to go. I have a quick question. What about the guy who took the photos? What about not the attorneys, but the guy that used to work there identified as letter M. His name is actually out there now, but I'm not going to do it. But that guy that took the pictures that shared them, what about him? What what kind of repercussions can is he in trouble? Like, could he be fined, sued? What happens with him? So that's a di more difficult question. So there was my understanding is there was a protective order in this case that laid out how sensitive discovery would be handled. That protective order applies to the parties and their attorneys in the case. So theoretically, it didn't apply to this guy. Right. So I'm not certain that even though what he did was despicable, that it necessarily would like, for instance, I don't know that the court could punish him with contempt because he was not under the court's power. No idea whether or not Indiana has some sort of law, a, a an actual law dealing with sensitive discovery in that way. I bet they don't. So I think it is probably the case that nothing's going to happen to him, which, by the way, you know, one of the great tragedies in this in this case, the newest tragedy, there are so many, is the fact that someone took their own life mm -hmm. over this. And, and we, you have no idea what was going on in that man's life. You have no idea how much this played into it. But if it is true that he met, you know, law enforcement came and talked to him one day and the next day he took his own life. I mean, that, that is such a great tragedy. And I think it's made even more so because I don't actually know that there would have been any real legal percussions for him. I think law enforcement wanted to get to the bottom of this. But I don't know that any of them were facing any kind of legal percussion, repercussions. If there's somebody who's more familiar with Indiana law, maybe maybe they can answer that question better. But that's my take on it. Hmm. Um, Laura, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously, you know, the victims are at the center of this. You got Libby German, 14, Abby Williams, 13. When you were there, um, you know, did you hear their names mentioned? W was the focus still on them? Because it's been such a circus, you know, where people still obviously hoping to get justice for these two little girls. Oh, people definitely, uh, you know, outside of the courtroom. Uh, but that hearing was a second long, right? I mean, it was it was very, very short by the time everything was said and done. And I do want to mention that Richard Allen was in the courthouse. So mm. he had been transported. I mean, that is how last second this thing was. So we, he was there because the judge told us in court that he, she goes, I just sent him back. So he just had been moved back to the van and he was off. He went. Um, but in terms of the victims, their names, I'm, I, I don't believe that the names were actually spoken in court, but the family members were there. We saw them there. Everybody's hearts are going out to them. And then, of course, everybody chased them as they were leaving the courthouse, surrounded by bailiffs. Becky Patty was there. And I asked, how, how did they look? How did they look to you, the family? 
disappointed. And I can't remember whose head it was that I saw somebody in the front row just kind of do this, you know, like they dropped their head when they said that the defense counsel had withdrawn and the clock basically starting all over again. It was clearly disappointing. Uh, and they did not speak afterwards. They didn't want to talk to us. It was raining sideways. We were, you know, trying to chase them on their way to their car just to get a comment and get a feel uh, of what they wanted to say, but they didn't have anything that they could say to us at that time. And but they speaking did not look, of, they were not happy. Yeah. And and back to crime kind, I know this was in Las Vegas before someone, shortly before someone was in custody um, when Richard Allen was arrested. And Brett, it's it's good that you did mention him, of course, now thinking what he's thinking and his family's thinking, a right to a fair trial. Now two new attorneys have to come on board. And of course, all of this time. And I did speak to Paul since and said, what do you think? And he said, not surprised. There'll be several starts and stops. For, he said, from my experience, seems like a year at least, which mm -hmm. I'm sure you agree with, Brett. So looking back, I remember him saying on stage, and again, no one was in custody. And he was looking at Becky and looking at Tara, Libby's aunt, and looking at Mike, Libby's grandfather, and saying, look, this is going to be different. Once someone is in custody, there's a new set of pain that you'll go through, a new set of emotions, if you will. Meaning now you have a face to someone that you believe innocent until proven guilty that may have done this, that the girls may have seen that face, the last face that they ever saw. And I, I think he was trying to say, because he still does to this point with the Golden State Killer and the victim's family members, he still is involved so much so in terms of counseling and in terms of getting them counseling and being them, there for them, not just, okay, this guy's in custody, I'm out. So he was telling me, and now in hindsight, I look back and say, wow, he did know that this process, and Brett, I know you can attest to this, is certainly not an easy one. And this one is so heart-wrenching for the families because of these delays, right? Richard Allen, as um, Laura was saying, Richard Allen's mom and wife were there. For everyone involved, it's like, how can this happen? And going back to Baldwin, the attorney, it was written by his attorney that, um, you know, he was betrayed in a sense. So it's like, now what? Now what happens? And it'll be interesting to see. And I wonder, that's a question I have, will Judge Gull appoint attorneys October 31st? Yeah. Um, before we get there real quick, Susan, did we, have we ever figured out or gone to the bottom of why he's being held at a state prison and not a county jail? I remember, th that's a good question. I remember Tobe Lesenby, this was a big issue, of course, and um, the attorneys for Richard Allen saying he shouldn't be there. Of course, this is a prison for convicted, for someone who's convicted, and he's not. Um, and, and Sheriff Tobe Lesenby saying, well, he shouldn't be here. It's not really safe. And at the hearing back in June, and Bob discussed this the last time I was on, saying that he shouldn't be here, it's not safe, but not really stating exactly why he wouldn't be safe in Carroll County. Um, and I do believe that Tobe meeting him through the years really meant that. But specifically, we don't know why the judge ruling that, no, he is safe there. The warden from the prison where he is now was on um, the stand as well at that June hearing. But the judge decided, look, he's safe there. This is the best bet. Because in Carroll County, I mean, as anyone knows, as Laura can attest to, when you're there, it's everywhere. I mean, everywhere. So if he's in that jail, would he be safe? Meaning, as you know, in any case, um, other inmates, if you will, or other people in jail would not be too friendly to someone um, suspected of killing Abby and Libby. Yeah. 
um, Elena Hologram here. Everyone's speculating that they were going to get fired, if not withdrawn. That's what the local crime channel said. There you go. Um, I am not T-Pain, a mod. Look at this. I've said now, I've gone on the record saying that there will come a time, there will be a day somewhere in the not-so-distant future where STS is the Super Bowl halftime show. That's how big <laughs> we're going to get. We are taking over uh, Joe Rogan. <laughs> Number one in 93 countries. It ain't going to last for long. But look at this from I Am Not T-Pain. And this is what the halftime show is going to be. I think it would be a great show for Defense Diaries and the Prosecutor's Podcast to go head-to-head to talk Delphi one night. Uh, Bob and Allison, I love you to death, but you're going into the lion's den with Harvard and Yale. I don't know if you want to do that, but that would be my choice for our very first Super Bowl halftime. Brett, would you do it? Now we look, we hang out with Bob all the time. We, we're always happy to have Bob on. We love his his defense lawyer takes on things. I mean, you got to have a little crazy conspiracy theory to keep life uh, exciting, and that's what Bob always brings to the table. So we're always happy to be on with him. Brett, you just um you just gloss break right it up, over break my, it up. Yeah, you you just gloss right over my whole uh, my whole fantasy about being the Super Bowl halftime show. You don't think that's a reality, Brett? Well, I thought that, I, I just assumed that was happening. Oh, it is. It is. I, didn't, I didn't realize. I didn't realize you were joking. I thought, of course, <laughs> it is. It's gonna, Your it's mom happen. has to be there. That's a must. Yeah. She, yeah. We, she will the, we were, be we were there. just talking about the Grey Cup in in Canada. So maybe we can be the Grey Cup halftime show first. Yeah, we'll start. And with then the Grey we can Cup. move on <laughs> to the Super. Bowl. By the way, when Susan said she was listening to her mom's voice in her head, that's something I do twenty four hours a day. So I'm glad <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm glad I'm not the only one. It's a New Jersey thing. It is. Uh, Brett, to you. Um, so there's going to be a. Um, new hearing, or there's a hearing now scheduled for October 31st. Uh, once again, since you're the only lawyer, tell us exactly what is going to happen on that day. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing that's going to happen is they're going to have to find counsel for him. And my understanding is that Indi- in Indiana, and in particularly in this small area, they don't really have public defenders. They have them, but they handle the sort of smaller crime, you know, DUIs, that kind of thing. They're not, they're not equipped to handle a death penalty case. And in most states, and I think Indiana is one of them, in order to handle a death penalty case, you have to be certified that you're able to do that. They don't just throw new lawyers onto to somebody's case like that. The two attorneys who were appointed were actually really good. I mean, I didn't like them. <laughs> they really got on my nerves the longer it went. But they had a lot of experience. They were really good at, at what they did, and there was a reason they were appointed. So now the judge has to find some more lawyers who have the time, the money, because it's going to cost a lot of money. I mean, they're going to get reimbursed, but I mean, come on, like this kind of case is going to swallow your practice. People who actually can focus on this case and give it the attention it deserves. That's not going to be easy, but she's going to have to do that before they can have a new hearing because you can't have Richard Allen sitting there, you know, alone (laughs) while we have a hearing where there's any substance. So presumably that will happen before the, the 31st. I would say nothing's going to happen on the 31st. At most, it will be these lawyers are appointed. They they show up. They discuss what's next. How do we want to handle this? How do you want to handle the old motions? You know, what are your thoughts on various scheduling issues? But it's not like they're going to be appointed tomorrow. I mean, it's the 24th. They're not going to be appointed tomorrow and then show up on the 31st prepared to argue a Frank's motion. I mean, that's a, <laughs> they, you know, Baldwin and, and, and the other gentleman whose name escapes me, Rizzo or whatever it was. They talked about just the voluminous discovery, just mountains of discovery that they were having to pour through. And all of that starts from zero. You go from people who've lived this for a year to people who might have heard about it on television. And it's just not a lot's going to happen until they're able to get up to speed. 
True. Uh, I was they looking were, at a, they were oh, ordered, go ahead, Laura. Obviously, they and they were ordered in that court hearing uh, to turn everything back over. So you know. And you're picturing all the boxes and, you know, almost a dolly that's going to come and pull all these files and get them out of there. And hopefully M uh, didn't see anything else. And, you know, I mean, you just, I still can't believe so many people still can't believe that it happened. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's such an egregious breach of trust. Yeah. Uh, Laura, do you know if uh, News Nation is planning to send you out on October 31st, which happens to be Halloween? Are you had, that's actually, what is it? That's this Tuesday. I can't even believe that. Um, are you going to be out there? We are definitely going to cover it one way or another. I'll tell you that. And um, I mean, in terms of your reporting on this, uh, without giving away sources, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you have some contacts. Are you keeping up with the case and staying on top of it from day to oh, day? Absolutely. No. Yeah. And this is something that I co- I've been covering this case, not as extensively as Susan, but we've been covering the case uh, with the other network I was working with before News Nation uh, for a very long time. And in fact, uh, I was at CrimeCon the year before. Uh, not this year in Orlando with you on stage, Joel, uh, but last year in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And we went there to film a couple of stories. And one of them was Delphi. And we did interview uh, Becky and Kelsey uh, while we were in Las Vegas, uh, spent a lot of time with them. And that was back when Anthony Schatz was the big deal. And so we were really focused on that um, catfishing part of the case. And so we've I have followed it for a very long time. And I look forward to seeing it through. It is so important, Susan, like you said, like that's how I am with Scott Peterson. I have been covering Scott Peterson for 20 years. I've been covering that case and not for nothing that, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember and if the true crime fans here, uh, there was a whole thing that Mark Garagos tried to throw out there that Lacey Peterson was killed by a cult in a van by the river. Yes. There was that whole thing. So this is, you know, we've heard this before. Um, so I thought that was really interesting when this Odinism came up. Uh, but yes, we'll follow it and bring you more on News Nation. Speaking of Mark Ergos, he uh, might be on the show this Thursday talking Charlie Adelson. And uh, we'll see if he mentions cults uh, once again uh, with as it pertains to Charlie Adelson. But I doubt that. But uh, yeah, Laura Engel, she was all over Scott Peterson, uh, all over that case and uh, did a phenomenal job, by the way. Screw that other network. I said that so my mom would have something to yell at me for. She didn't say, why did you say that? Why did I work for that network and uh, say it now that I'm not there. How about that? Um, Brett, they should make Delphi a federal case instead. Is that even a possibility, Brett? You're shaking your head no, no. and disgust at my question. No, that's not how it works. This is a state murder case. Murder is ordinarily a state crime. Federal murder has to involve some sort of federal hook, usually something like murder of a federal official or, or a few other things. But you can't just make a case, a federal case. The federal courts have no jurisdiction over murder in a state. So is it, while federal agencies can often help in investigations and did in this case, when it comes to time to try it, it's going to be tried in state court. Uh, Simcha says, this reminds me of Elizabeth Smart case where Richard Ricci was arrested, died in jail before being exonerated when Elizabeth's sister remembered who the real kidnapper was. Um, Susan, to you, I'm just wondering the same thing. Obviously, you wrote an entire book about this, and it seems like it could be like three or four or five volumes. Um, where does your reporting stand today? Like, how, how often are you working this story? Uh, well, I'm still close to the family and um, they were there at the latest crime con in Orlando. And, you know, that took a lot in terms of what I was, I, I did say to them, look, nothing about the case will be discussed on stage. I mean, zero, 
absolutely nothing. Because of course, following this and and following their story, the last thing I wanted to do at all was interfere with this gag order. I mean, at all. I I was on with Vinny and um, Becky was off to the side with Tara. It was just Becky and Tara this year. And um, Vinny's like, well, what does the family say about the the latest 136 pages? I'm like, they're right there. They say nothing. I say nothing because of the gag order, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I'm still in touch with them. Kelsey had a little baby girl recently. I was at her baby shower, but I don't discuss anything because I don't want to be that person. And speaking to what Laura um, spoke about in terms of Garagos, I always think of, especially now as the case goes on, I always think about Jose Baez and like in the opening statements and the father and the pool and all of this. And, you know, as you could speak to, Brett, it's legal to do that. You can do that. Should it have been in that memorandum? I don't think so. I think the judge was annoyed by that. I would have. I think it was a way around the gag order. That's just my personal opinion. But with that in court with the opening statement, and then we heard nothing about the father, meaning proving that through the trial, we didn't hear that. So it was interesting with Garagos and and all of that. And I do remember you following um, the Scott Peterson case, of course, and uh, Lacey and what happened with that. So it will be interesting to see who's assigned to this case, the new attorneys and what route they go down and and what about the Franks hearing? What if they don't have an issue with the search warrant or do you think they they will considering? I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to circle back to that in just one moment. Uh, Richard Allen, a little bit, give us a super sticker here. Doesn't look good. Will he make it? Um, he does look kind of horrible. Um, Laura, I know you said he was rushed out quickly. Did you get a chance to see him in court? No, he didn't. Yeah, they but he- did not bring him out. And I think that that was one of the reasons why I think that his wife and mother, um, they were upset. They were very upset. You could tell that they were upset. They were, you know, holding a tissue. They were clear. I think everybody was completely blindsided. I, I think that it was possible that the judge could have removed um, the defense and that was going to be on the list of possibilities. But just the way it happened uh, was upsetting and we didn't see Richard Allen, and I don't believe that the family saw him. Uh, Bob and or Allison chiming in here. There's no DNA evidence. Um, so, Brett, to you, uh, I, I was checking out some local Indiana stations here, and there's a gentleman named uh, he's a Fishers City Court judge, a guy named Dan Hankey, who does legal analysis. And he said something that you kind of echoed a moment ago the judge in talking about this new hearing on uh halloween day the judge is going to have to find first of all two experienced attorneys he said preferably two attorneys who know each other and have worked with each other they're going to be asked to devote a significant amount of their practice time to the preparation and defense of this case for several months if not a year i don't think people realize the extent of uh the work um and then he went on to say The opportunity for the Franks hearing is still there. It'll be up to the new council to decide whether or not they want to proceed with that or not. So uh, to Susan's question about this Franks hearing, um, first of all, for those who don't know what a Franks hearing is, can you just give us a little debrief and tell us if it is still a possibility that they will, uh, you know, have this? So Frank's hearing, it's a, it's called a Frank's hearing because that's the Supreme Court case that sort of lays out how it goes. Things like Frank's v. Delaware or something along those lines. But basically, when you have a search warrant, you can't, government can't just walk into your house and search it. You have a right under the Constitution not to have your home searched without a warrant supported by probable cause. 
if a judge looks at an affidavit and issues a warrant, it is really hard to get around that because there's a lot of deference given to the judge who reviewed the affidavit and said, I find probable cause. And unless it is just completely absurd, no reasonable judge would do that. It's going to stand. At which point you have to attack the affidavit itself. And you have mm -hmm. to say, look, yes, what the judge did was perfectly reasonable based on this affidavit, but there are huge problems with the affidavit. The officer who, who swore to it left out really important things or they put in things that are incorrect. And the things that they left out or the things that they put in are so egregious that if they had been included or if they had not been in there, there would have been no probable cause. It's a pretty high bar to even reach that. And you have to show as the defense, you have to make sort of a prima facie case of that. And if you can do that, if you can show like these are the things, these are the problems we think exist here. And if we're right, there's no probable cause, then you get a Frank's hearing. And then at that hearing, you'll have an evidentiary hearing. It's like everything else. The officer will get on the stand. He'll be questioned about the affidavit. They'll talk about the affidavit. And then the lawyers will argue about the law and whether or not this is actually an issue. And here's the thing. When Richard Allen's attorneys filed the Frank's motion, it really was just a vehicle to get the Odinism out there, right? They don't talk about Frank's until page 106 of the 135 motion, page motion. They don't cite the law until page 135. It was so egregious that they then filed a supplemental memorandum later on where they're like, oh, by the way, we kind of forgot to actually make the Frank's argument. So here it is in our supplemental motion. The new lawyers are going to have a great opportunity to come in with a clean slate. And if they think this is a legitimate issue, write a real Frank's motion that does things like cites Indiana law because the last lawyers were notorious for, for citing Illinois for reasons that aren't clear and really dig into this and make the argument. And they also have a strange benefit where, and it's kind of like with the Jose Bias thing. So the old lawyers have mentioned Odinism. That's in everybody's mind. These mm -hmm. guys never have to mention Odinism and it's still in people's minds. They could proceed and be very level-headed and just sort of like straight line defense attorneys. And if they get to trial, there will be jurors who in the back of their mind are thinking about Odinism. So it's a really sort of interesting situation that they're walking into. And there are some real advantages they have. And let me just say this, everything that, that I said and that the local expert said is true. There are a lot of defense attorneys who would want to do this case. I mean, this is a case, this is kind of a career case. It's obviously a huge case. I think there's a reason that these attorneys fought to stay on it, even when it seemed like they were going to be kicked off. So it will be difficult to find someone, but they will find someone. You think there's any chance of a change of venue once we go to trial? Well, I mean, I think I kind of feel like there was always going to be, I don't know that Delphi was ever going to be where this was tried. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have a real difficult time. There's going to be, look, finding a jury in this case is going to be hard. Okay. That's going to be a big challenge. They're going to have to figure out a way to do that. This obviously doesn't help. I, I can't even imagine what Vordire is going to be like, but I think it probably will go somewhere else with maybe a larger jury pool, maybe with some jurors who are less likely to have knowledge of this case. I know you guys know this, but the so will be tried in Carroll County because they said they didn't want it to be difficult for Abby and Libby's families in terms of transportation. I'm sure Richard Allen's as well, um, but they are getting the jurors from another county, but with everything, like you said, that will still be in the back of people's minds. It will be interesting to see if the damage is done. And that's yeah. actually how they did the Casey Anthony case. They, yeah, exactly. They brought, they brought in the jury from 
Clear Lake or something. I forget exactly yeah. where it was, but similar thing. Mm -hmm. um, Laura, I'd love for you to respond to a couple of comments back to back here. Jilly Bean, does anyone think this is a one-time crime from this criminal followed by no DNA? Wow, that seems strange. Followed by this, DNA was taken from the bodies and the police accidentally destroyed it. Um, the court of public opinion obviously weighing uh, heavy in this case, and there's a lot of um, you know, people who are cynical. Um, what do you think of all that? I mean, I, th I think that there's a lot we don't know. And that's why so many people have been fighting for transparency in this case, uh, because we want to know more. But things like the DNA and things, you know, that kind of information is you is kept under wraps because they're trying to keep it close to the vest. So as far as, you know, the DNA, maybe Susan can speak more to that. Um, but I am unaware of any of that being out there. And in terms of the first time offender, I mean, what we know about the crime scene, it's hard to imagine that anybody did something like that for the first time. Um, but that's just, we just have to wait and see on those kind of questions. Yeah. And, and Susan, if you want to weigh in, uh, Bob and Allison are back. The defense stated in the memo that they've recovered no evidence linking Richard Allen to the girls on any of his electronic devices. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot because no, you, are you can put a, me on the spot. Yeah. Put me on no, the I spot. Mean, I, so, no, I just yeah. What do you think of all this? Well, back to the DNA. Detective Jerry Holman told me in February 2019. I asked him specifically on camera, "Is there DNA?" He paused and he said, "Yes, but I, I'm not telling you where it's from in terms of where the DNA has come from. Is it saliva? Is it?" So he he clearly said there is, but I can't tell you where from. That was it. That was on camera. I said, "Okay, now." Is it enough? But then then when you think about now with the technology that's out there, it, it, is it enough? But I would assume in the probable cause affidavit, if it was enough of DNA connecting uh, Richard Allen to it. And I, I remember asking Bob this on the last show, like with the probable cause affidavit, with the unspent bullet that seemed to be, and he spoke to it, um, not much in it, if you will, um, compared to um, what we've seen with Brian Koberger. So it'll be interesting to see if they have any more. There are people I've spoken to and interviewed that say, yes, there is more. And Bob says, if there was more nowadays, you put it out there. I mean, you just put it out there. It would have been in that probable cause affidavit. Um, in terms of the electronic devices, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I don't know. That's why we have trials. That's where the evidence, that's where everything is proven. We can talk all we want about what we assume will be shown at trial, what we assume, even in the opening statements, as we've seen, as we have seen. Um, it's about what can you prove, not what can you say, what can you prove? Well, the defense says this. Yeah, did they say it during the trial? No. They said it in some bizarre 136-page memo. Mm -hmm. And yes, Bob did make it clear that there is in discovery, there is things in that memo, obviously, that are there, but it'll be interesting to see. And I agreed with a lot of the things that Bob said, so don't come after me. But no, it's, it's, what it's will Susan, we see during the trial? Yeah, one of the interesting questions that came up last time was the voice, you know, the down the hill voice. And uh, has it ever been compared to Richard Allen's that we know of? Um, and where does that stand? On his Facebook page, and I know if you've seen it, you could see he doesn't talk. 
I mean, for you, like you see him kind of, I know her page has been deleted, but at CNN, it was kept and we had it and we saw the video and there's, they go on a vacation and she asks him a question and he doesn't say much. So the, it'll be interesting to see in the jailhouse confessions if the voice matches and, and what the jurors will think, if that's presented as evidence, which I think obviously it will be. Mm. Um. Defense Diaries, uh, by the way, I don't think Richard Allen's going to make it. Then Defense Diaries, I know this is a uh, autocorrect, but uh, there's been a change in veneer. I think they mean venue already. Um, that I'm not aware of, but uh, Brett, um, if you, do, do we know about that? No. Change well, of venue I, or change of... I mean, I think the answer is that it's more the, the jury. It's where the jury pool is coming from. Like, oh, I don't think the, the trial itself gotcha. is moving anywhere. I think it's, gotcha. it's where the where the jury is going to come from. Okay. okay. And whether, and look, whether that, I mean, here's the thing. I didn't that know was that all well change. and good. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, yeah, I mean that, that was all well and good before. I mean, I could even imagine somebody saying. Yeah, here, here's the follow-up to that. Gull has already ruled on a change of venue. Again, I'll chalk that up to autocorrect. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's the what jury I thought. Is coming from Allen County. Exactly. Yes. Not now, which one is Allen County? County? You guys have to. What's in Allen County? Is that like Indianapolis or is that? It isn't. Well, Don't ask me. I can, <laughs> because I can, if I, I were the defense attorneys, yeah. I would say Allen County is not big enough. We I want it in like I want That's, jurors coming from some yeah. huge when place where we can it, get a. Absolutely. When Judge Gull ruled on the change of venue, it, it and. When I heard Carroll County, it was it was decided, obviously, and I, I respected this decision with the family, because think about Abby and Libby's family, Richard Allen's family members going in. So it was the change of venue, but it would be tried in Carroll County. That was the decision. And I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, the defense attorneys and McClelland, prosecutor, came together and picked, they had a couple counties to pick from and chose Allen together. By the way, Brett, I figured out why I didn't get into Harvard. I can't do my daughter's fourth grade math homework, and I can't do geography, so I'm screwed. Didn't you go to Yale? I've got to. He went to Harvard. He's the uh, black sheep of the crew. The other one went to Yale. <laughs> um, they fight over that all the time. Um, Laura, so Fox 59 in Indianapolis, they reviewed all these Facebook posts that went back and forth between the leaker and another alleged person. Um, and my point here is, we, we started the show this way, but someone literally committed suicide. Allen County population, this is a COE, 385,410. It's probably not big enough, uh, Brett, for you. You said you want. Can the judge change her mind, to, like make another decision, if you will? Sure. Uh, okay. She can do what she wants, <laughs> right. But, but uh, Laura, back to you. I mean, where do we go on that front, that part of the story? Uh, literally, someone took their own life as a result of this. There's got to be more reporting, uh, you know, hashed out in regards to that, don't you think? Uh, there is and there will be. Uh, certainly the the leaker, um, what's really interesting about the leaker, I listened, so I was at the uh, Trump hearing today, and in between my live shots on at the Trump hearing in downtown Manhattan, I was listening to an interview um, by the leaker that he gave earlier this year talking about what the environment was like in this law firm that he used to work at, um, the law firm here that represents Richard Allen. And it was interesting to hear him talk about 
what that was like and how the, it was this whole collaborative effort. And it really gave you a sense of almost like no walls, no windows. It was just kind of like, you know, everybody was allowed to come into a conference room. Everybody, they wanted people to chime in and kind of bounce ideas off of each other. Um, so there is an interview out there uh, of this guy who is the leaker and then who then passed it on to the person who committed suicide. And before the person committed suicide, that person passed it off to another person who shared it with the podcasters uh, that you were talking about earlier, Kevin and Anya, mm -hmm. um, who did immediately call police recognizing what those photos were. Um, so in terms of, you know, who said what to who and when, that is information that has like quickly been guarded. And so we're just going to have to wait to find out. But uh, what's what else is interesting is that the leaker himself, the one who we don't know if he'll ever get in trouble, has apparently gone on to work for some kind of ethics committee. So there's, <laughs> there's the irony in that. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> the irony. Uh, Loopsy Lou, uh, this is for Brett, and then we'll start to wrap up. Do you think the additional audio will be heard at the trial? Before we get there, though, another reason I'm not getting to Harvard, it is veneer that refers to the jury pool. That's why I just couldn't let it lie. He had to just, prove I, he was yeah, right. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> I should have been corrected. I'm a little loopy. Show number two. Uh, but uh, I was just looking at a comment, but that's right. The, not meaning the venue, obviously. Yeah, I thought it was the venari. I think this all depends on where you're from. Is it? Well, um, yeah. well there's all these the, weird words, right? The bottom line, it's not. It's why I didn't things. get into Harvard, why I didn't get into Yale, and why I didn't get into law school, and why I'm sitting in a. <laughs> Did you apply to law school? No, it's why that's I'm in why. a. It's why I'm in a walk-in closet with a painting of my mom yelling at <laughs> me. <laughs> that's, my, that's my. That's my punishment. Um, Brett, I don't even know where we were at, but there, were you going to make a point? <laughs> well, you were asking about the audio, whether the rest of the audio Oh, yeah, the audio, be. yes. I mean, here's the thing. And we talked about this when Richard Allen was arrested. We've talked about this, how it changes when somebody's arrested. You know, as, as little privacy as the girls had before someone was arrested, once the trial is going to happen, the privacy really does end. And, you know, the stuff that was in the the 130-whatever page, Frank's motion, about how they were found and how their bodies were and what happened to them was always going to come out. The additional audio will probably be played at trial. Mm -hmm. All of that's going to come out at trial. But there is one thing that I think is really important to note. Their pho the photographs of their bodies should never have been available online. And that would not have happened. Even if you had a trial, that would have been protected. We've all seen how this works. It would have been protected to make sure that the only people who saw that were the jurors, the people who needed to see it. And this leak is not some insignificant thing. Leaking the bodies of two dead girls is an incredibly serious thing, a horrible violation of every responsibility we have as attorneys and of just basic human decency. So I, this was not insignificant that it happened. Yes, we're going to learn far more than we ever wanted to know about the last few moments of these girls' lives if it goes to trial. And that's why trials are really hard on victims and victims. Brett, do you think the reason he leaked, and forgive me if we've already hashed this out, and I'm just a space cadet tonight, but it is, is one of the dominant reasons for why this leak or leaked this is because this person so believed in this Odinist theory that they wanted to present the photos believing that that's what it depicted well i think there's there's one of two reasons the first is the reason anybody leaks anything is it makes them feel important and powerful when they have information that no one else has and they can leak it and you see that in politics all the time but yes i mean i think the bottom line is 
they did the 135 page memo. People like me made fun of them and said, this is ridiculous and absurd. And it's not an Odinist conspiracy. And if there are sticks on the bodies, it's probably just, you know, an, an impromptu way to cover them up. And I think the thought was we need to get these photos out so people can see it. And so they'll see the Odinism for themselves. Right. That's why they wanted to get those photos out there. Ordinarily for the defense, you wouldn't really want the photos of the victims to be out there because it enrages people. It causes people to have a lot of emotion. But when you're trying to prove, if you just look at it, you'll see that our conspiracy is correct. Then all of a sudden you have a motive to leak. And I think that's exactly what happened. I think that was in his mind was, if I can leak these, I can prove that this theory is true. By the way, uh, Jenny McAllister says Allen County is the largest county in Indiana. Uh, fig dot solves for Brett, and then we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Brett, can you explain how the confession Richard Allen gave is direct evidence and not just circumstantial evidence? Well, look, there's nothing wrong with circumstantial evidence, first of all. This is the point we hammer. Circumstantial evidence and direct evidence are equally powerful. DNA is circumstantial evidence. All direct evidence is is someone getting on the stand and saying, I saw this person do this. And that way, I think a confession actually would still be circumstantial evidence. You know, direct evidence is just a witness who says they saw it happen. Circumstantial evidence is something that you have to draw an inference from. So DNA, for instance, you had the DNA. It matches to a person. The inference you draw is that person was there. So that's circumstantial evidence. And you build circumstantial evidence in, in blocks. I mean, it's like the bullet. There's a bullet in this case. And people will say things like, no one's ever been convicted on the basis of bullet evidence. Well, nobody's going to be convicted on the basis of bullet evidence in this case either. That is one piece of evidence that will be considered when surrounded by all the other evidence that Richard Allen did this. And that one piece of evidence will help prove that he's guilty. It will not prove that he's guilty alone. Oh, look at this. I may not be completely wrong after all. I mean, I was, but Ned Smith coming to my defense. It's veneer at V-E-N-I-R. Uh, so there you go, Bob. That's my defense of my stupidity. Um, and there it is. Uh, we're now going to go to the part of the show that uh, we will get closing thoughts because I can no longer think. And for that, we turn to Laura Ingle. Uh, currently a crime reporter for News Nation based in New York City. We were both at Fox News Channel. We did not know each other then. She was there for 20 years. Uh, she started at KFI in Los Angeles. And as you just heard, she was uh, in Delphi, Indiana just last week. And uh, as many of us in news know this to be the case, she doesn't really know her fate. She could be there next week. And they'll probably tell her Sunday night at like 1130 uh, in the evening, and she'll have to pack up, and that's why Susan Hendricks was an anchor, so she didn't have to deal with all that insanity. But, uh, Laura, your final thoughts about all this? Oh, my final thoughts are just, you know, just wanting to get to the truth for the victims' families. Just, you know, getting to the truth in a clear and concise way without all of this noise um, that complicates matters. Mm -hmm. And when I was out there on that trail in Delphi, Indiana, going out to the Monon High Bridge and standing there and just thinking about the girls and thinking about the terror that they went through in those last moments um, is something I know that will stay with me. And I know that has stayed with Susan and stays with everybody who knows this case um, and just continue to hope that justice will be served. And with justice being delayed as it is right now, it is heartbreaking. It's really upsetting for a lot of people. And we can just only hope uh, and pray that justice will be served here and hopefully mm -hmm. soon. 
uh, somehow I got dragged into a uh, discussion about uh, legal vocabulary. <laughs> it keeps autocorrecting veneer, V-E-N-I-R-E, for those listening to veneer, V-E-N-E-E-R. Bob, double-check that because our last STS Nation member said it's V-E-N-I-R. I'll have to double-check that. I will give that to my daughter, both my daughters, as spelling words. Uh, Brett, where's Alice? That's the most important question of the night. Uh, I didn't get to it until just now. So Alice had to actually do a real job tonight, so she wasn't able to join us. She was hoping she would be able to finish up, but Alice is working as a lawyer even as we speak, unfortunately. (laughs) There you go. She's got the real job. Uh, Can't say enough about Susan Hendricks, uh, former CNN and HLN journalist. She anchored the network's live news program. She worked uh, in concert, in tandem with Anderson Cooper, who I like to poke fun at. If you listen to Anderson, Susan, I know you love him. I know he's a good guy and I've met him and he's a good guy. But after 30 years, he's got his, he's got to get the question out before 16 news cycles pass. I love the guy. He's just got to spit the question out. What um, do you mean? No, I'm kidding. Is that, <laughs> I'm kidding. I digress. Listen to, listen on iTunes radio to CNN. You'll see exactly okay. what I mean. Susan, most importantly, is from New Brunswick, New Jersey. And that is a stone's throw from where I grew up. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is her book, Down the Hill. And look at this. Down the Hill is an incredibly compelling read. It is hard to put down. You'll never look at this case the same way. She's got to write a follow-up. Paul, That's from Paul Holes, uh, one of the best cold case experts in the country. Susan, are you going to work on a second book? I don't know. I haven't thought about it. I got that question a lot. It's like, wow, considering I I, I thought, okay, from the thought process of I want to do this and, and to where I am now, it's, it's been a long road, but if, if the family would like to take me on the road on what they go through during the trial, absolutely. I would. And I'm thinking about what Laura said in the final moments, because what I would like to say and leave with is Mike Patty, the grandfather of Libby said to me, you know what, Susan, because I asked him, what keeps you going? He's he's the doer of the family. And I mentioned in the book how Abby and Libby's families um, deal with expressing themselves differently and they have out of the gate, as we've seen that in a lot of cases. And that is completely up to them how they decide to speak to the media or not or at times do so, and at other times not. But Mike has always been front and center, and so is Becky. But Mike's saying, look, what keeps me going is the final minutes in those girls' lives. And and he looked down and I said, um, you know what happened? And he said, he, he just said, well, that's what keeps me going. It kind of diverted from that. And I remember um, Kelsey telling me that Mike identified Libby's body. And it didn't tell Kelsey what he saw. I mean, saw what he saw and seeing what he saw, I believe, is what continues to keep him going. And Becky said to me, Susan, after someone was arrested, I felt like I lost my purpose because their purpose was get the flyer out there. Today is the day. Write a Facebook post. This is what we're made to do. And she was kind of deflated, if you will, about her purpose moving forward. So to think about this leak and what Brett said, it's just really despicable considering the family members don't even know the details of that by choice. But again, there was secrecy in what they were even willing to tell the family members. Um, And it's just, it's heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. And I hope that moving forward with the new attorneys um, that Judge Gull assigns to this, that it can be as smooth, if you will, as possible as it can for everyone involved. Mm -hmm. 
Very well said. Uh, Felicia here, Dr. Ann Burgess, who's a best guest and uh, one of the better known criminal profilers in the world, a literal living legend, said this doesn't fit the profile of Richard Allen. Uh, not heard or interviewed about it, but maybe we'll get her on the show. To oh, discuss. she was in the book. She's one of the chapters. After oh, all. <laughs> so, there you- she did say in that she said it's a little odd. She did. And this was um, mm. saying, like, I wonder why that because 44 years old when this happened, all of a sudden, uh, brutally murdering two girls, meaning, and now he's 51, I believe, but 50 when he was arrested, 44 at the time with, but then she started to, as we spoke, it was an interview back and forth. She said, um, you know, wait, he had a daughter that got married that left the house. Okay. And you know how her, her genius brain works and kind of churning. Could that have been it? Could that, it, mm. it was so interesting for me to interview her and I've interviewed her before at CNN and finally to meet her um, this year at CrimeCon was such a thrill for me in Orlando, but she does bring up excellent points in the chapter where I interviewed her and saying, look, some things don't fit. Some things may and as she was learning more about his family, again, innocent until proven guilty, we both stated that. But she said, as soon as the trial starts, she'll be watching. Very interesting. I love it. I love Anne. Uh, look at this. All that, uh, all's well that ends well. Love you all. Great show from Bob Mata. Uh, harboring no uh, animus <laughs> against me or or anyone else, I take it. Uh, look at this. Kelly, uh, great panel. So smart and interesting. Thanks to all. Have a blessed night. May God let us all wake up tomorrow. Let's could say that again. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, um, but you can say that again tonight. I guess. Um, when I first had Brett on the show and Alice, I had him on together. I said, please send me a bio so I can put it on the website. If I went to Harvard and Yale, it'd be the first thing. I went to Harvard and Yale. Oh, I'd have stickers behind yeah, me. The whole thing, I'd have like a strobe light going around the word <laughs> Harvard and Yale. But this is what they wrote to me. Yeah. Brett and Alice bring their unique perspectives as prosecutors to the hottest stories in true crime. They're the host of two weekly podcasts, the, the Prosecutors Podcast and Legal Briefs. That's it. That's all I got. They yeah. are now also the host of the uh, award the crime award winning best podcast. Is it the Clue Awards? Is that right? The yeah. Clue Awards. The Clue Awards. The yes. Clue Awards. I'm coming for you next next time. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming for you, uh, Brett. How does this all end up? Do Libby and Abby finally get justice when this is all said and done. I mean, that's the million dollar question. I think we're going to look, there's no telling how these new attorneys will approach this and maybe they will fight as tenaciously as the last ones to get to trial and, and try this case. Maybe they'll look at the evidence and they'll see it differently and they'll try and work out some sort of deal and, and enter a plea agreement. It's impossible to say. I think the thing that I would urge people to do is to try and be as patient as possible. I realize that got that got harder when this is going to take even longer. And, and, I, and I hate that. There's nothing wrong with talking about this case. There's nothing wrong about being interested in this case. But just remember, the feeding frenzy over this case, in a real way, has led to another death. And, and I think that's something we all have to remember. Mm-hmm. This case has spiraled out of control in a real way. And I think it's up to all of us to kind of take a step back and, and, and treat the case with the respect that it's deserved. And hopefully... The answer to your question is yes, they will get the justice they deserve. And uh, thanks to me, this show spiraled out of control. Thank you to Tracy for becoming a YouTube member. Quick reminder, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, 
this woman right here pointing the finger at me. Uh, she's coming on 7 p.m. Eastern time. She doesn't know we switched it. It was at 5, 7 p.m. Eastern time. She's not going to be happy. Uh, we are doing the Love Triangle trial out of Austin, Texas. That is Caitlin Armstrong. We're going to have Carm analyze her. A lot of analyzing to go around. And then uh, Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern time, we're back on Charlie Adelson. And then Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern, you get America's Most Respected Detective, Phil Waters, and Scott Duffy, formerly the, of the FBI. Until then, love you. Where are you, Brett? I'm in Montgomery, Alabama. Love you, Montgomery, Alabama. Love you, Long Island, New York, Manhattan, Atlanta, Georgia, but by way of New Brunswick, New, New Jersey. Brunswick. Yeah. Someone asked me for another city in New Jersey the other day. I can't remember, so I'll just say all of New Jersey. Follow and check out Laura Ingalls' new update on Delphi and many more. That is her Instagram handle, at Laura Ingalls TV. Follow her on Instagram. Buy Susan Hendricks' book. Uh, where is it? Where's Susan Hendricks' book? Until next time. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.